0: Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of The Break. I am Father Roderick, your podcasting, geeky, Star Wars-loving priest, slash nerd, slash geek. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. What's that news about recasting Luke Skywalker? And so much else we need to address in this episode. As always, this show is brought to you thanks to my wonderful community of patrons, or Patreon supporters. I, I I'm just tempted to call them my my patron saints because they they real really allow me to do this this holy work. So um, a shout out to two of them that have recently upped their their tier. Um, I want to thank Morton and John specifically for upping their pledge. If you want to join this wonderful community of patrons and help me to do this this kind of work, and I. I can really use your your help, then by all means, take a look at patreon.com slash Father Roderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. Face it, Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. We need to talk about Star Wars fans and why Star Wars fans despite what's going on in the fan universe right now, are still, I think, the best fans in the world. This is not a theory, this is something I have experienced time and again. Now, as you are aware, undoubtedly, um, a lot of the the f- big franchises, be it Marvel or, you know, everything that Disney does, uh, actually Disney also does Marvel and does Star Wars, so uh, Star Trek, <laughs> like you name it, vid- even video game fan bases, um, often can get very sour when there are new releases, and there's a lot of online criticism and a lot of fighting going on, um, and a lot of entitlement of fans. And uh, for for some, that has created the impression that that you know it's no longer worth being fan. It's just, it's too bitter, it's too poisoned, it's too toxic. Um, And I can understand if you only see those fans online. Because as, as we know, the world that we see and experience online is not the real world. It is a segment it is a version of the real world because, you know, we're, we're dealing with mostly with real people and then some, some GPT bots that are pretending to be real people. But there is a huge difference between the, the tone of voice in the online fan debate about basically any big franchise and the experience of meeting fans in real life. I have yet to experience one fan event in real life where you experience that kind of toxicity. I have just never seen it. And I go to fan events all the time. I go to big fantasy fairs and festivals. I go to Comic Cons in the Netherlands. I go to Star Wars celebrations and conventions. And when I go to these these meetings, everybody is so amazing, so lovely, so motivated to be there, and so full full of excitement about... The franchise that they're a fan of. One of my most recent experiences was the big fan convention around Star Wars in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. As you may have heard, I I, uh, I was asked to be a, a panel host um, during this Echo Base charity con, uh, and um, I've I had been a guest of that same convention, uh, before the pandemic. So that is, I think in 2000, was it in 2019 anyway? Um, and back then I was just a guest. So I was interviewed uh, about my love for star Wars on stage. And then this year they asked me back in, but instead of being the, in the person being interviewed, I would be the person who would interview actors from star Wars. And, uh, and of course I said, yes, I mean, isn't that amazing to meet the original actors that portrayed Mon Mothma and Wedge Antilles and General Crix Medine and uh, Bonnie Pease who, who played Aunt Beru in the prequels and also in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series and Duncan Powell, uh, Duncan, was it Duncan Roy? Who uh, who plays, um, oh, what's his name? The, um, the pal of of, uh, of, of Cash and Andor in uh, in Andor and also was in Rogue One. Anyway. Of course, I wanted to do that. And I had a blast. It was the best day of the year at for as a Star Wars fan. But what also impressed me so much is not only are the actors lovely and, and 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 extremely um kind and 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 engaged and really wanting the fans to have a a great experience, but also the fans were amazing towards them, towards the actors. And um uh, Caroline, um, uh, who plays Mon Mothma in, in Return of the Jedi, her role was 40 years ago. She said that she only filmed for one day, and that was her only work, the only work that she ever did in, in, in Star Wars. I, I think if she'd been involved in that movie today, she'd probably feature in, in a lot of television series as well. But the, she is more than 19 years, 90 years old, and she said that she was just so blown away by the kindness and the warmth that she experienced as, in her opinion, just a very, very small actress who who is in Star Wars, and yet 40 years later she is uh, being treated as as royalty. And uh, all the actors told me that they had that same experience, that they loved being among these Dutch Star Wars fans, and it's it's not really something that we are in Holland are are very well known of. Um, the Dutch are usually very direct. Um, we tend to be a bit more kind of calm. We're not uh, compared to, for instance, an American audience during a convention during the Star Wars celebration. You got all that yelling and cheering, and people are just like exploding with uh, with outward facing enthusiasm. The Dutch are usually a lot more reserved but they they said it's it's just the warmth of the people and the way they they are interested in us and and talk with us and that is exactly what i also experienced as as a host of these panels you feel the engagement of the of the public of the audience at one point i had to give away some swag during the first panel with the, the three actors from return of the jedi and uh, i've never done that before i'm not very good at it but of course we had like two or three items, and and we had a whole theater full of people, like a couple of hundred people. And so I, I was thinking, well, well, how can we do this? Are we just uh, pick a number between one and 200? That's going to be such a hassle and it's not very fun. And then right before I went on stage, I was talking to one of the organizers, and she said, hey, well, what if, what if we do something like with Star Wars impressions? And I was like, yes, that's it. That's what we're going to do. So before we started the Q&A with the audience, so the whole session was about uh, 45 minutes, 50 minutes. And so after about half an hour, I I made a break. And I said, now, if you have a question, please come down. We only have one microphone. But before that, I want to invite you, if you want to have this swag, do your best Star Wars impression. And then I thought that, nobody would dare to do that in front, you know, make a fool of yourself in front of a big audience. However, there was a whole lineup of, I don't know, six, seven people, and they did amazing impressions. There's this one guy who did the R2-D2 scream, you know, when he, when he's hit uh, in A New Hope, when he's fired upon by the Jawas, and he, he topples over, and there's, ah, and this, I can't do it. That guy did the perfect imitation of that. I, I was like, how does that sound come from from you? And there was another guy who did the Emperor and s- some other stuff. Um, um, there was a Wookiee, was Chewbacca, which was extremely well, uh, extremely extremely good impersonation as well. And it, 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 I think, it was a just another sign of the level of confidence that these fans had uh, among each other. F- felt totally at ease to uh, to do these impressions, and the same happened also during the second. Uh, panel that I hosted. There was a, another panel going on in the in the theater next to us, um, and that was about the Mandalorian. So we didn't have a full um, a, a full theater, but still have probably more than a hundred people. Um, and then it, it just the the kind of questions that people ask. I had to do another um, ha- handout of, of swag, and, th- and I didn't want to do impressions because the whole session, the whole panel. Uh, was more serious than the first one. Return of the Jedi panel, all people from from the UK, lots of jokes and uh, clearly super experienced uh, uh, actors uh, when it comes to appearing at these conventions. Uh, In this case, Bonnie, who is from Australia, now lives in Portugal. Um, I don't think she has been at many conventions before. Uh, She's currently not doing much acting as it is. Um, And then... Uh, we also had duncan for who i think these kind of conventions are also relatively new and who is kind of a, like a, he's from scotland He's a pretty serious guy he had some very very interesting um remarks and just ponderings and it was like wow okay i never expected a star wars panel to go this deep so at the end of that uh, first round of questions where i was the interviewer um I felt like no, we cannot do impressions. That's that's not going to work. That's just too over the top. Doesn't match the vibe in the room. What else can we do? And then I remember at one point, I asked uh, the uh, my the two actors, the two guests, um, if the, if they would be in for future sequels. You know, is is Duncan going to be in in uh, in? Uh, uh, and or season two, uh, I think he is, by the way, and if uh, Bonnie would be in for Obi-Wan Kenobi season two, and then I thought, well, maybe let's let's ask the audience to pitch ideas for new television series. And again, I did not expect many people to react to that because it was kind of an off-the-cuff idea, and, and usually you need some time to think about this. But man, was I surprised to get so many incredible Suggestions for uh, for for a Star Wars series. Um, there were some alternate alternate history versions, like what show us the family life of, of um, Luke and Baru and um, uh, and Owen if they hadn't been attacked by the stormtroopers. If they maybe they're still alive. Maybe it was all like a switch through and they are still there somewhere can we do like a reboot of that um what else was there there, there was just it was so much fun it was so much laughter and it was it was almost impossible to pick um to pick a winner because all those ideas were were amazing and again i was so surprised to see how much um how just to see the the involvement uh of 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 the fans and how much they were not just just there as as you know crazy Star Wars fans, um, but they really wanted to be involved in the in, in the conversation. Uh, another thing that struck me was um, to see so many people with either in a wheelchair or otherwise on the spectrum and 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 all sorts of fans, it it really didn't matter if you were cosplaying or if you were just a collector or if you were a kid. Um, There was just a vibe where everybody accepted everyone. Uh, It was wonderful to see some of the kids um, learning uh, lightsaber sword fighting with adult trainers and then to see that interaction between these these kids and these adults... um, and it made those kids feel super special, and I, I don't know. It was the entire day after I went home. I was just buzzing from enthusiasm, and I was so proud of my Star Wars fan community. And I'm thinking, this is so different from from what you often see online, where Star Wars fans are hating on each other because, uh, y- you know, this or that isn't exactly um, what they what they want it to be, or they have a different wish list, and then evil Kathleen Kennedy just com- completely destroys Star Wars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's none of that type of talk on conventions like that. So if you ever are a bit skeptical about fans, or maybe you have the impression that it, the, the whole Star Wars world is going downhill, and uh, do me a favor, go to one of those local conventions and just mingle in the with the crowd and and you see for yourself that what people sometimes say online and what they yell at each other or what some people say is not representative for the for the, the the average Star Wars fan. Most people are there just because they love those stories. They love the these actors and and they just want to celebrate the stories that they love and celebrate the friendship and the common language that they have with the fans. Um yeah, it it was a fantastic day. I love my Star Wars fans. I do not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. We need to talk about this talk about recasting the role of Luke Skywalker. That was actually a news topic this past week. Now, hold on to your horses. It doesn't mean that it's actually going to happen. But this was part of a conversation with Mark Hamill, who, of course we have seen in uh, the Star Wars sequels, and who died and appeared in uh, The Rise of Skywalker as a Force ghost. Now that we know for sure that we're going to have another story that is based on uh, the efforts of Rey, the character of Rey, to rebuild a new Jedi Order, that is actually what she was asked to do, wasn't it Luke who gave her that quest? Anyway, it's something that she wants to do. She wants to, to bring the Jedi back, and of course, that's probably not going to be as easy as it seems. And so there have been questions asked to, uh, to Mark Hamill, especially knowing that he had already appeared as a younger version of himself, thanks to the magic of CGI in uh, the Book of Boba Fett and in The Mandalorian uh, Season 2 towards the end, would you be in for an extended role in future Jedi-based stories? What if there are going to be new movies, for instance, uh, telling the stories of Luke Skywalker right after um, Return of the Jedi? Some people are speculating, and maybe it's just fan fiction, but what if Disney would allow uh, a, a series of movies showing more than just what we saw in the flashback of him training Kylo Ren. But what if we get a whole series about Luke Skywalker uh, creating his Jedi Academy and then the whole how Luke Skywalker went from this very serene great jedi at the end of return of the jedi fully at peace with his role as a jedi and and uh of course having having saved the galaxy how does he go from that to the bitter cynical guy that we see at the end of the uh, the force awakens and then who we see is just acting like a crazy old man in in uh, the last jedi he is that crazy old man that uh Uh, Uncle Owen um, that's how Uncle Owen qualified uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi it's just this crazy old man well Luke Skywalker has become that crazy old man how did that happen? what if we do a number of movies just about that and with CGI we know that technically it would be possible to just create um, uh, a motion capture performance nowadays they can do like real-time face replacement on actors and mark hamill actually said uh, at first he said hmm. So the first question was are you involved in this movie about ray trying to recreate uh, the jedi order or rebuild the jedi or- order are you going to be in there as a force ghost and then his first reply obviously was well you know what that's all protected by ndas um if I was involved, I wouldn't be able to talk about If I wasn't involved, I could also not talk about it. And then after a bit of prodding, he they asked him more in general, so would you be in for, you know, taking um, or, or, or um, playing a role in, in future stories about Luke Skywalker, but as a younger version of yourself? And then he said, yeah, I, I know I... I I did that for the television series, but that's not cheap. It would be probably much better to just recast a role, get a younger actor to play my character. That's how that became a hot topic in the news. And Star Wars fans immediately were like, either they were like, yeah, cool, let's do that. That was a very small minority. And most fans were like, no, please, no, 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 no. Don't do what you did with Solo recasting the role of Han Solo. Actually, Kathleen Kennedy uh, officially said, we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to recast these very famous characters with new actors. They tried that with Solo, and even though I think the end result was a very good, enjoyable movie, but having another actor Take over the role of Han Solo, and so um, is it Han or Han? Whatever, both are both are good. So playing Han Solo, um, it was jarring. It I, I he did well, but it just wasn't the same Han Solo. And so I'm already upset when I see alternate versions of the Avengers. Remember that after the last Avengers movie came out, that there was this video game, um, and. Um, I've I I still play it on on uh, Game Pass Ultimate, and it's a fine game, and you see all these these Avengers, but they look totally different, they sound different, and it it's like man, I'm playing like an alternate ver- alternate universe version of these characters, and it's not the same. It's absolutely not the same. I cannot take away the memory that I have and the the kind of the perceived bond that I have with the original actors that played these characters. So. I didn't like the recasting, even though that was just a video game. I, I, I was super upset when they, when they had to obviously recast Dumbledore because the original actor died and they had to bring in a completely new actor with a very different interpretation of, of Dumbledore. I didn't think that he even um, studied the, uh, the, the work of, of his predecessor. Um, and so that was so jarring as well. I am less upset with what they are currently doing with Andor, where they obviously re- had recast the role of Mon Mothma. And one of the things that I particularly appreciate is that the newer actress who plays Mon Mothma has studied the performance of, uh, of Catherine... I need to be uh, a bit, bit more polite and uh, call her, by her last name as well, Catherine, um, uh, Caroline, I should say, Caroline Blackiston. Um, she uh, she said that there was a, a certain sadness in the way that she talked about uh, many Bothans have died to bring these plans. And she says, I, I felt that there was this, this whole backstory that was implied that Nobody knew at the time when they were filming Return of the Jedi, but now with these new scripts of Andor, I can see how that one performance of that actress kind of matched the backstory that we're creating now. So that helped me to give voice to this younger version of of Mon Mothma. And I think they even look alike. Um, uh, Caroline said it. uh, She said, when I first saw this new actress playing my role... I, I, no, she met the actress even without knowing that she had been cast as Mon Mothma, I think. And she's like, she looks like me when I was young. And, and so that, that works for me. But because there is a huge time gap between um, uh, the event, well, actually, not that much time, but there is some, some time difference between the events of Andor and then the beginning of, a new, of uh, and then Return of the Jedi. I think Return of the Jedi is that six years after A New Hope? I'm not sure about the timeline, but anyway, um, it's it's different enough. With Luke Skywalker, I think I would be very upset if they, for instance, would do, like, post-Return of the Jedi stories or even something like a video game, and they would have another actor playing Luke Skywalker. It has to be Mark Hamill. But I can also see that you cannot do, like, full feature-length movies with that CGI technology probably also because it would reveal the flaws of that technology. You can do it, and I, I think they they really pushed the limits uh, with the book of Boba Fett, and it was very convincing. However, you, you do remember that the voice, even though it sounded like Mark Hamill as he sounded uh, in Return of the Jedi, his intonation, his the way he he said his lines felt a bit flat. And the reason was that the algorithm that they used to recreate Mark Hamill's voice was based on audiobook readings by Mark Hamill. And of course, if you read an audiobook, it's a very different way of different intonation, different cadence than if you would act and you have to project yourself. And so that is why that voice, even though it sounds identical to Mark Hamill, it gets so close, there is something still a little bit off there. And I think if you would do this with, like, big, like, dramatic roles, it, it, I don't think it would work. Tarkin is another good example. In Rogue One, of course, they did the CGI version of Tarkin. And even though he looked like the original uh, actor and sounded like him, you could still see that it was computer-generated. And that was, of course, at the very beginning of this... This They were starting to experiment with this, this technology. Leia at the end of, uh, of Rogue One also looked a bit weird and a bit not... I don't know. It just didn't work for me. Um, I, I mean, I, I accept it totally because, because of the story. It was just cool to see these characters. You cannot tell that prequel story to A New Hope without having Tarkin, without even having Leia. And so I'm fine with it, but it wasn't perfect. So I agree with Mark Hamill that, um, yeah, just doing a CGI younger version of him, it's probably not a good idea. But then, to suggest that we have to recast his role, no. And I think something else he said in the interview is, well, I think we're kind of done with these stories about Luke Skywalker. And, and there was, yes, yes, I think we're done. I think we've had our share of, I, I, of course, I want to see Mark Hamill as a forest ghost in, in the, the the movie about Ray, I think you have to. In every sequel to A New Hope, you have Alec Guinness playing the forest ghost of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And because Star Wars rhymes, you have these recurring, the cyclical storytelling, it totally would be fitting if Mark Hamill would appear as a forest ghost. Just maybe not as prominent as he did in... Um, ...in The Rise of Skywalker. I don't think there's any need for that. However, there is one situation... ...and correct me if I'm wrong... ...let me know in the comments if you agree with me... ...there's one exception to this rule. In fact... ...the role of Luke Skywalker already has been recast. And we've just seen it. In the series Obi-Wan Kenobi... ...we see a child actor playing young Luke Skywalker and we see him getting in trouble we see his parents calling him as like luke luke <laughs> bonnie told me during the panel interview that that was actually done on purpose the, 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 the two parents calling luke because that's exactly what you hear in a new hope where um uh aunt baru is is calling for luke 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 and she she kind of uh uh channeled that during during the television series uh so we see this child actor taking on the role of Luke Skywalker. And because that entire first season of Obi-Wan Kenobi was focused on a character of Leia, we only see the boy in very, very short scenes. I was a bit surprised by the choice of, of the child actor because it, I, I, it, he didn't remind me of, of, um, of, of the performance of Mark Hamill. Whereas with Leia, I think the young actress who played young Leia... Very much had that same I don't know the same spirit as as uh, uh, as Carrie Fisher. It, it, it was a very good match with Luke Skywalker. I was less convinced. However, I can totally see that if they would ever do a sequel to Obi Wan Kenobi, they of course could skip a couple of years and then pick a new actor because of course these children they grow up very fast if you see i just recently saw an interview with the young actress who played uh the younger version of leia and she's already like three years older uh, than she was when she played that so they probably will have to recast uh the role of luke skywalker anyway but they could maybe switch to um, a luke skywalker as a teenager He's supposed to be still a teenager when we first see him in A New Hope, but seriously, he's in his 20s. Um, <laughs> I think Mark Hamill was, or maybe he was a little bit younger, but they could go to, I don't know, the age of 14, 15, something like that. Definitely older than uh, the Luke Skywalker we see in the first season of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then they, they could recast it and maybe just try to find an actor who kind of bridges the gap between the the the... the very young uh, Luke Skywalker uh and that particular child actor and then uh young Mark Hamill I I can see that happen and I think that if they ever do a sequel to Obi-Wan Kenobi uh season 1 it's got to focus on Luke Skywalker and it's a story that if it remains untold I would say that that's a missed opportunity um again because Star Wars rhymes and you cannot focus on just one of the two twins and then and then not do Luke Skywalker in the second season. I know and I understand that they wanted to do Leia because we haven't seen Alderaan and we haven't seen her relationship with her parents. So obviously that was a very good uh, uh, wise decision to focus on Leia not on Luke, but now I feel like it it, it's it's a shame if we will never get to see this 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 gap filled in between uh, the end of Obi Wan Kenobi season one and then um, and then Rogue One or or A New Hope. That is what I think. So, what would you think if they would recast Luke Skywalker? Are you fine with the CGI replacement? Uh, what do you what do you think about uh, another season of Obi Wan Kenobi? Would you be interested in that? Let me know. And also. Let Disney know. Let's raise our voices as Star Wars fans. Because if we don't, mm, they don't know that we actually want something. So it's up to us. All right. Let's move over to a new trailer for um, an action movie in a series that I actually really never cared about. I'm talking about Transformers. And uh, the Michael Bay movies, um, I tried to watch... Uh, the first one, and I didn't really care for it, but that was still my problem, because I skipped that whole time period where the Transformers became such a thing. As you know, I've been in seminary for 10 years, and the first five of them, I did not go to the movies, I did not watch any television, so for five years, I, I, there is a dark hole in in my experience as a geek. I totally missed out on Nintendo. Like, the entire Nintendo craze with Mario, and I I was in seminary. I didn't play video games. I didn't have a... a, 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 a well, I did have a computer, but no no games. And so, that is a gap. But also, this whole, you know, w- w- the ne- 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 w- w- The Neen H Turtle Ninja. Teenage Nerdle Tinjas? The Teenage... Turtle Ninjas. <laughs> I totally missed out on that as well. Um, and I completely missed the whole Transformers craze. So when the first movie came out, I went to see it in theaters, and I actually quite liked it. It was like, wow, the special effects especially are very cool. I really hated the sexist uh, uh, approach of women in that series. I thought it was it was just cringe, 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 pure cringe. I hate, uh, Just for that, I... Totally disliked the way Michael Bay handled those movies. And then I went to see the second uh, movie, Transformers movie, thinking, well, maybe maybe they can course correct a little bit. And it was so bad. I, I I, remember falling asleep. I watched it in theaters in the United States, in Atlanta. It was like three hours long, and I just couldn't keep my eyes open. Oh, it was so Mind-numbing, and then I—I I don't think I watched the third and the fourth. And there, there was this one about the—the the yellow beetle. Um, and I—I I saw that one, and and that was the first one where I thought, "Hey, they're going in a different direction. This is a much more human story. I kind of like this." And so the uh, oh, Bumblebee. Yeah, we're talking about Bumblebee. I—I I, I really enjoyed Bumblebee. Now. After even more years, there is another Transformers movie uh, that's about to come out. The trailer is already online, so I'm going to watch it with you. I haven't seen it yet. And Michael Bay is no longer directing. Thank the maker. So he is still, I think, an executive producer, or maybe a producer, but he's no longer at the helm. So I actually have a bit of hope that tr- you know Transformers may be going in the right direction. I don't know. Let's take a look at the trailer and I'll tell you what I think. Here we go. There is the trailer. It starts now. For centuries, our kind has stayed hidden on Earth. But darkness has found us again. That looks cool. This is about the fate of all living things. <laughs> A Unicron transformer gorilla is coming. Big celestial machine. Oh, 1994. Oh, that's cool. They kept the sounds. Oh, there we go. Back up. Oh, I thought we were boys you want it come and get it you brought a human here i'm nobody i ain't even seen nothing i'm not even seeing anything right now that's coming out this month cool this is not our war optimus we must trust each other to protect the home we all share that's so cool how big can this guy be He eats planets. So, like, way bigger than a planet. (laughs) Sure, why not? Transformer that eats planets. In the end, everything you cared for will be consumed. Maybe there's another way to save our home. You've never faced anything like this. Let them come. Big space machine. (laughs) Explosions. Slow motion action. And lots and lots and lots of CGI. Feels like classic Transformers. The Rise of the Beasts. Yo, Noah. Take the wheel. Yeah, baby. Hmm, June 9th. That's next week. All right. Okay. Uh, what do I think of this? Uh, wait a minute. That's not... What is that? That is pff, the late show. They're not even on today. <laughs> Rise of the Beasts. Um, if I only go with the trailer... I'm thinking this looks just like all the other Transformers movies. So, but it's a trailer, of course, and it it wants to cater to the audience that loves the movies as they are so far. So I'm not sure if this trailer convinces me to go watch the movie. I have to say, it looks a bit cleaner. It's easier to understand what's going on. Um, One of the things that I disliked of the previous Transformers movies is that for sometimes, like, 10 minutes you only see these machines transforming and fighting and it would be very fast cut in editing um and it it was just too much and it was like either it was completely off or it was completely on there was very little room for for subtlety in those movies this trailer kind of looks like that it's um it's over the top it features a lot of tropes so I'm not sure what to think of it. I mean, I, I like the way it looks. It's obviously very cool. The, the the it has the classic ingredients, but this trailer has not convinced me that this is any better than the previous um, the previous movies. Let me know what you think. Are you looking forward to this movie or not? Um the jury is out uh, when it comes to me. Um, let's watch another uh, trailer. Uh, This time for a movie that I am not necessarily looking forward to, but I am intrigued by it uh, because it's it's such a strange franchise. Of course, I'm talking about the Barbie movie. When the first trailer for the Barbie movie came out, I thought it was brilliant. It had all these subtle references to big movie tentpoles like 2001: uh, A Space Odyssey, and it, it it was a really good teaser. It made me curious: what are they going to do with this story? It's not going to be uh, another, you know, Pixar Toy Story movie with just just Barbies in there, or Ken's. It's It's got to go deeper than that. They've got some excellent actors um, who are playing the roles of, of Barbie and Ken. Um, and I feel that maybe this is the time that they can pull off something really original and something that goes beyond what we all expect. Um, we're about to find out, because I have not watched the, the trailer yet, the official full trailer for the Barbie movie, but... I want to take a look at it with you as we speak. So here we go. Ooh, very pink.
1: <laughs> hey, Barbie.
0: Oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. That is very, very have pink. I they planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and planned choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. You can oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness the best day ever it is the best day ever so is yesterday and so is tomorrow and every day from now till forever <laughs> Do you guys ever think about dying whoa dying when my heart breaks some things have been happening that might be related cold shower Ooh. falling off my roof ah! and my heels are on the ground huh. <laughs> 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 that's funny. <laughs> what do I have to do? You have to go to the real world. You can go back to your regular life, or Stepping you can know out the truth about the universe. Barbie world. Oh, blue pill, red pill. Now yours. <laughs> the first one, the high heel. You have to want to know. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's, that's brilliant. Closer Closer I am. I am. Oh my gosh, Ken uh, is in the, the car you. as well. Okay. That was Holland with wow, the tulips. This is the real world. <laughs> What's going on? Why are these men looking at me? Yeah, they're also staring at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love the soundtrack already. Barbie in the real world, that's impossible. If this got out, this could mean extremely weird things for our world. This would be catastrophic. <laughs> if you hate Barbie, Barbie. So you're like five years old. This movie is for you. No one rests until this doll is back in a box. Even if nobody else along. Wow. Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. Humans only have one ending. Get that for Ideas live forever. Okay. I'm impressed. No, I won't let you do just one appendectomy. But I'm a man. But not a doctor. Can I talk to a doctor? You are talking to a doctor. Can I need a clicky pen? No. A sharp thing? No. <laughs> there he is. Doctor. <laughs> doctor somebody get security. <laughs> <laughs> is Bobby oh, they got the down. Barbie song in there as well. Oh, that is so cool. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I have to say, <laughs> this looks very promising. It, it feels um, like a Barbie version of Enchanted. It's the same premise. You've got this fairy tale world with this princess and she's destined to live forever what is it happily ever after and then she ends up in our world and it turns out that's a lot harder to navigate than uh, than a fairy tale world and then to have to ask the wrong question inside that universe like the, this barbie world is a bit like the Truman show the world of the, of Truman right where everything is perfect and it's supposed to be perfect you're not supposed to talk about stuff that takes the viewers out of that fantasy world and then she she she, she addresses the topic of mortality and, and, and that kind of breaks the fabric of that Barbie world and she maybe is even expelled. It's just like Eve eating from the, the Tree of Wisdom and then um, it, it kind of breaks the reality they're in and they're expelled from, from the Garden of Eden uh, and they end up in this broken world and it feels like, That's what this movie is doing. Um, Another movie, another premise that this reminds me of is Pleasantville, uh, one of my all-time favorite movies where uh, two characters um, go into this black-and-white world of the 50s television shows where everything seems perfect and then they break that world by introducing color and new ideas and at first there's a lot of resistance but ultimately that entire world is transformed into the kind of broken but still very colorful world that we live in. I love stories like that. I, it's it's because it's it's in a mirror um th- the situation that we are in we like to dwell in these fictional worlds where it's uh, it's it's it it's escapism and we don't want these franchises and these movies and these stories to take us back to reality because well, we don't really like reality as it is but it's all ultimately about embracing reality and learning from these fictional worlds uh, the 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 tools or getting from these fictional stories the tools that we need to navigate uh, real life and so if escapism is just that then it becomes uh, literally something that 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 hampers uh, our real life but stories are never meant to replace reality they are here to enhance reality and to help us cope with reality and so that's kind of the the the, the type of Of subject matter that i see in this trailer i am i'm impressed visually i love it already it's so cool to see that juxtaposition i didn't really know that they were going with these barbie characters into the real world um i think it's going to be a lot of fun and 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 i don't know i can't wait to see it let me know what you (laughs) what you think it it feels like something the, the the what they said in the trailer if you love Barbie this movie is for you if you hate Barbie this movie is also for you well that is a daring statement so let's wait and see <laughs> Catholics rock It's time for a quick visit to the Peculiar Bunch. This is where you can ask anything you always wanted to know about Catholics and you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat, light bulbs? Well, I am here to answer all your questions, and today I want to talk about a topic that is very important right now in the Catholic Church and it has to do with renewal. Man... You guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster videos. Now, you may be aware or not that Pope Francis has instigated um, a, a huge convention, you could say, of bishops and, and lay people from all over the world to talk about um, a, what he calls synodality. Um, synodality, in a nutshell, is this uh, this obligation that we have to listen to one another and to listen to the holy spirit together this joins what i was talking about in last week's episode of um of the break where i explained that uh, the holy spirit is sometimes misunderstood as this Um, this person of the Holy Trinity that speaks straight to the heart of people that then have like a hotline with God and whenever they feel like the Holy Spirit wants them to do something, that has to happen. And I explained that, well, that's not how the force works. You need discernment, there is a communal discernment of what the Holy Spirit wants and it's only once you've prayed about it together and that you respect also the hierarchical nature of the decision-making in the Church that you could actually be more or less confident that this is indeed where the Spirit is leading the Church. However, for Pope Francis this is extremely important to rediscover um, especially because according to, if, if you look at how Pope Francis has preached over the last 10 years that he's been a Pope. He is very critical of a church that becomes self-referential and a church where only the top people, the people that are ordained and uh, are part of the, the clerical system get to decide what God wants or not. He says that is, that is not acknowledging what the Second Vatican Council has stressed over and over again, that all baptized, are sharing in this common priesthood. They, too, have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in them and through them, and so the leaders in the church have to listen to the lay people just as much as the lay people need to respect the authority of the the bishops and the the shepherds and the priests who work in the name of their bishops. Um, And it's this listening to one another that can help us discover new surprising ways in which the Spirit, who is the creator, so he's the the source of all creativity, um, is inspiring us to recreate and renew the church. So that's what's happening on the global level. That's going to be a huge thing for the next couple of years, both the synodal process itself um, in, in Rome with the Pope and with all the bishops and the lay people, and then the aftermath of that, how, of course, that all will be implemented. Now, on a slightly more, um, let's say, close to home level, there is another process that is currently um, going on in, in quite a few parishes, and that's the the, the parish renewal movement. Um, this is something that has existed for a long time. Let's face it parish renewal is nothing new it is something that the church has been doing since the very beginning even in the letters of the apostles you see that these early church communities are constantly course correcting or they are being corrected by the apostles or they're being corrected by by uh by councils and and uh, they're correcting one another so there's an ongoing transformation of of the church from the very beginning, and sometimes there are um, blind spots, and, and even in the Acts of the Apostles, you see that when the, the apostles realize, well, wait a minute, we we can't do everything. We need deacons, so we have people in the church that dedicate their life to the care of the of, of the people in in the, that live in the margins and the poor, etc. We need to to institute something that can help us do that, and and that continues to be the case up until this moment and it will continue long after we are no longer there. Um, And so, any movement in the church that says this is what the church is supposed to be, this is the tradition, it's fixed now, stop the the renewal and stop the evolution, let's stay put, that is by definition not the Catholic church because the church has always been renovating and renewing itself. Um, The second vatican council has has emphasized this the church is always semper renovanda sem always semper means always uh um in, in in latin it's always renewing itself but how does that happen there are some very good um books written on on this topic and one of which is uh, divine Renovation, by the Canadian priest Father James Mellon. If you're a long-time listener to the show, uh, you may remember that I mentioned him in the past. Father James Mellon uh, was a priest like so many of us priests who worked in a parish and, you know, was what he calls in hindsight was doing a good job at maintenance work, We're just keeping the boat afloat. We're just doing what we've always done. And then at one point he starts to realize, well, wait a minute, but is this really all this activity, is this really working? And is this helping people to actually become followers and disciples of Jesus? Or are we just keeping the club alive? You know, <laughs> it's, it's, and, and, and from that insight, he starts to experiment with other ways of approaching the day-to-day life in parish. And the criterion becomes, and I think that's the genius of his method, is always asking yourself, is this helping people to grow closer to Jesus and to become disciples of Jesus if so then we should we should do more of it if not if if this is just about our local community you know being busy or surviving or paying the bills but it's not leading people to this discipleship then we're not doing the right thing because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He makes us followers of Christ. He reminds us of what Jesus has said and what he would have done, and he helps us to act uh, in, in the footsteps of Jesus. If that doesn't happen, you're not doing the right thing. And on the basis of that criterion, he starts to develop a, a, a whole method of looking critically at all these different aspects of of, of the way parishes do their day-to-day business Um and, and course correcting. This method has been very... There's a couple of other books um, uh, by other uh, authors that are kind of in the same vein trying to propose new ways of doing things. Not always to my taste. So some of them are almost proposing like an evangelical version of the Catholic Church where as long as you have like great rock music and light effects and you 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 present mass as if it is a, a big show on MTV. Sorry about that, I... I, I realize I'm, some of you may not have been born in in the age of MTV, but you know what I mean. It's like a television a, or a mass is is not a show, and I do agree that we can do so much more to make churches more, I don't know, impactful and to improve the lighting and the setting, but if it becomes like an evangelical church, I'm out of here. I, it's just not for me. And, and I, I, I'm sure I, I'm speaking for, for many other churchgoers. But what I like about Father Mellon's uh, proposal is it's not about the form. It's about the mindset. It's about this ongoing realization that we have to evaluate if this helps people to grow closer to Christ. And renewal starts with our renewal. It starts with me. I have to work on my relationship with God. And if I skip that sk- step, you can try to renew as much as you want, but it will always be like an external renovation. It won't work. It won't bear fruit. Um, so I, I am very much interested in this process, and I think it goes hand in hand with this whole synodal process because um, there is no magic formula for this. But there is a mindset, I think, that we need to acquire. It's about thinking differently about why we are part of the church community and asking ourselves if some people are not, and many people nowadays are not interested in becoming a part of that community, don't blame it on those people. But look at, and don't blame yourself either. We we are limited people. We, we have our ways. We're, we're, we're creatures of habit. But see it as a challenge to, Go and explore if there are other ways, if, if, if maybe changing your mindset and, 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 and f- trying out new things together and by praying the Holy Spirit to, to help us find those new, new ways, uh, see if that will work. What we know is if we continue to do what we are currently doing, which is not working for 99% of the people and expecting different results in the future, we are stupid. We're just dumb. We're blind. We don't want to really change. But we know that we cannot go on like this. We also know that we cannot throw uh, away the, the child with the bathwater. But something has to change, and it's probably us. <laughs> that's, that's when you are a disciple of Jesus. You know that it's most of the times he's challenging his followers to change. And he's not promising like big worldwide political change or whatever. He's not going to fix the world. He he empowers us so that we can fix it with him, but not without, not without us, and not without him. So, um, I've been thinking a lot about this renewal and also about my my own place in this process. What can I do to help this process? Because I believe that, you know, I I have a very limited set of experiences that, that may be of use in this process and and of course it, it has to do with communication I think the way in which we reach out is broken most of the time, if you look at, at just any parish website, there are a few exceptions but any parish website, any diocesan type of communication, any talk by a bishop, any... Like the other day, I got received a letter from the bishops that was written here in the Netherlands at the occasion of Pentecost, and I read that letter, and I'm thinking, this is not the way. The contents is great. It's all very... You know, it's pertinent, and it, it, it's well-researched and everything, but I read it, and I don't feel the spark. I'm thinking like in paragraph 2 they're already citing church documents and 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 the whole letter it's it's all true it's all it's all good but at the end i'm thinking there's nothing in there that makes me enthusiastic it's all a rehash of other people's ideas there's no originality there's no story there's no there's there's no real commitment it all feels like we're going through the motions of this pastoral letter and I cannot blame them because I've been doing that for many years in my life but it doesn't work it does not work and as long as we don't acknowledge that then we're not going to change our ways so I think that maybe one of the things that I could do in the next couple of months or years is to help strengthen this process of renewal by focusing on how do we tell this story how do we communicate how can we reach young people, how can we communicate in such a way that, that people feel what the disciples that on their way to Emma's felt when Jesus was walking with them, you know. Didn't our hearts burn? When is the last time in church that you felt that your heart was burning? When was the last time you heard, heard a homily or a, read a letter of your bishop and felt like, oh, I'm on fire? I bet you it's pretty rare that that has ever happened, let alone recently now, I don't pretend having the solution to this, but I have learned from my own mistakes. And I've, I've seen a couple of occasions where, you know, some, some forms of communication did work and continue to work. And so I want to share that experience, both of my failures and my own struggles, as well as my successes and best practices. And so I'm thinking of, um, and I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now, I'm thinking of, um, with some other people, uh, with the board, with Inge, um, maybe I should write new, another book. And this time, it is about, parish, about communication. How do you transmit, how do you communicate your faith in a, in a way that helps the church to renew its approach to communication? And then not write a book full of theory, but write a book of stories. Let me tell you that one time that I thought that if I would do this and this, it would be a huge success, and instead it was a failure. What did I take away from that experience? Stuff like that. I think I have, since the last time I wrote a book, which was in, when was that, 2005? It was like a a century ago. Um, And now, there are so many new experiences. The world of media has changed so much since I wrote Geek Priest, um, it's time for for another book, and so I want to do a good job with this. Maybe even develop that into a course that I can invite people to follow. Uh, maybe even create something that can, just like M- Father Mellon's method and uh, was some stuff that Father Barron does. It, it, it's a one time investment of my time and energy, but it can help people for years. Uh, that that's kind of what I'm currently thinking of. Let me know if that would be something that you would be interested in. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Here is why every Star Wars fan that takes himself or herself seriously should read a book by Warwick Davis who, of course, is an actor in a lot of Star Wars movies. He's been in Harry Potter. He's been the main lead in the Willow movie, the Willow television series. He is a very well-known comedian in his own country, the UK. He's been working with Ricky Gervais. He's done even like a whole series of really cheesy horror horror movies. Um, and he's just a wonderful human being. I'm talking about his autobiography, uh, Size Matters Not. I just finished reading that book the other day and I loved it from page one till the last page. I don't know how many pages there are because I was listening to the audiobook version. It's such a fantastic book. It recounts his experiences in life, how he got cast as a young Ewok in Return of the Jedi, how that role of Wicked turned into his his breakthrough because the actor who was supposed to play Wicked, Kenny Baker, who also played R2-D2, fell ill. And he had to step in at the very last moment, and that's how Warwick Davis, I think he was 17 years old, got to play this young Ewok, and he had been already playing a role of a background Ewok for for, uh, the whole duration of the filming, he immediately stepped in and it just worked. That whole scene where he's interacting with Leia uh, just stole everyone's heart. And then afterwards, when they added the, the voice, of course, Warwick Davis didn't voice his own character, it became a phenomenal success. And then later on, uh Luke George Lucas and, and Warwick Davis bonded on set and later on uh George Lucas approached him with this idea. Hey, I've got this idea for uh for a fantasy movie and I I want you to be the lead character in there. And that's how he ended up playing Willow. And and from there, he was starred in the in the in the prequels. He got to play uh, he got to play um, a minor character who is a friend of um, of young Anakin, and then he has another background role. Also, tells us how he ended up basically playing two characters in the prequels. I remember. Me, as a fan, debating online, you know, well, who is this character also played by Rorick Davis it has to be so important. And we didn't know, of course, that it was just a, a, a background character that was invented on the spot, and there's nothing to it. But to hear how that came about, it is fascinating stuff. Now, my own personal uh, uh, memory of Warwick Davis is it goes back to the first time that I met him in, in real life. Um, and that was during the very first Star Wars celebration in Denver. I remember I was waiting in line to get into the big tent where all the big panels were were being held. And the line was huge because they didn't have the, the system that they have now where it's basically a lottery. You just had to stand in line. So we were there standing with the other guys of the Force.net. We were waiting in line to get in several hours before the big panel started. And then all of a sudden... Uh, one of us spotted Warwick Davis with his wife and, and a stroller. And he pointed to us, he said, we need to ask him to talk to us. And they had been in, in contact with him before uh, because it was the Force.net was the biggest fan, Star Wars fan site in the world. Um, and so they had met him, I think, during, during a convention. And so they, they said, hey, Warwick, come over here. And, and, and he did and for about 45 minutes at least we had a chat with with Warwick and his wife and and they ha- just had their their first born child i'm saying they're, they're that and that's actually not exactly the case that they they were over the moon with their child and they were you know new parents but i remember that during the conversation at one point maybe he was Warwick was talking to someone else and then um someone told me you know you got to realize this is their third child they've lost the previous two children um because of their the combination of their you know genes of both Warwick and his uh, his wife are little people um and it turns out that when they first became parents their child was the bearer of two kind of clashing uh, gene, genetic strands or whatever but anyway it turns out that the the child um, only lived a very short time and, so, and their second child also died so this was their third child um, and I did not really get any more than that um, but it made me all of a sudden so like oh wow I had no idea I only thought of Warwick as this star from Return of the Jedi now recurring star in The Phantom Menace but Wait a minute, these these actors are real people, and they go through real hardship. um And it's only now, so many years later, that I'm reading the whole story of of those pregnancies and how they they desperately hope to become parents, and then they they had to go through that and then and then for the their third child and their fourth child, they also had these these panicked moments where everything seemed to go wrong again and and then in the end. You know that their, their their two children made it, and uh, and uh, so there is a there's a happy ending to the story. But I had no idea. And then just reading about that, it's f- it's told in such a in such a in such an authentic way, and that's that's the thing that I loved most about this book. Warwick is is just a really great guy, and I, I re- still remember to this day how incredibly down-to-earth he was and how approachable and, and 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 you always think that you know that can't last when people are so famous and have starred in so many roles after a while they start to you know they have their handlers and they become these larger than life people no pun intended but not with Warwick Davis. He's always stayed the same. And you can also see that in um, uh, the documentary about the television series Willow, uh, that unfortunately is no longer offline. They really did it. Disney took, uh, took Willow, the television series, and the, the making of offline. You currently cannot watch it anywhere. Um, but I love that documentary because you can, you can tell that Warwick, even though he's a lot older now, he's still the same guy. And and the chemistry between him and, and the, these young actors... Uh, that he now is is uh shepherding into one of their first performances, not for all the actors, but some of them um, he's just a great guy to work with, and then he takes up he he jokes about himself, so at one point during the documentary, there is a shift and it becomes almost like a parody documentary uh, or mockumentary because then he pretends to be this huge star with a huge ego and um and that's actually something he has um done in a television series. I think it was the one with Ricky Gervais, but I'm not, not certain. Where he plays this over the top version of himself who is the total opposite of the real, real Warwick Davis and he's this super entitled like big star full of himself and and nobody likes him. And so I loved how they brought back that that kind of like <laughs> opposite character, uh, uh, this, this joke, this inside joke, into the documentary about the making of Willow. It, it was fantastic. I hope he's going to write a sequel because I'm sure that he will continue to, um, to star in, in, in movies and he's got a lot more stories to tell. But just hearing all that background, what was going on in his private life while he was filming uh, all these movies that we now know and love, why he's not in Time Bandits? Something that people keep asking him. Were you were in Time Bandits? No, he was not in Time Bandits. However, he was in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. At least his body was, because after he played the role of the the, the depressed robot, um, that that character was actually voiced by uh, by um, uh, oh. Alan Rickman. Um, they wanted to have a voice that was even more depressed than what uh, what Warwick Davis could do. So. Having these two great, great actors collaborate in, in, in creating that role for Hitchhiker's Guide of the Galaxy, you know, forced me to go back and rewatch that. But there is there are so many details in this book. It's so cool to read. So don't miss it. It's called um, Size Matters Not by Warwick Davis. Highly recommended. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you've plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. All right. Let's talk about one of the coolest new LEGO sets that completely went under the radar for me, at least, and that is a LEGO set of the NASA Mars Rover Perseverance. We all witnessed the landing; that was so harrowing. Is it going? To, are the parachutes going to deploy? Is this going to work? And then it it all worked. And and the rover was there. It's one of the most advanced... The most advanced, ro- uh, like, other planet rover that NASA has ever built. And the coolest thing, it had a microphone on board so it could record the sounds of Mars. That is the first time in history that we've been able to listen to sounds coming from another planet. It was one of the most impressive moments I've ever witnessed as, a, as an astronomy, you know, space exploration fan. Um, and... It carries a helicopter, and now Lego has done a NASA set based on this Mars rover, and it looks fantastic. It is so incredibly cool. So I'm currently looking at it right now on the on the main page of of. Uh, of Lego, of course. Lego has done NASA uh, builds in in the past. There is this amazing space shuttle model, which unfortunately was a bit cost prohibitive for me, so I didn't buy it. They also did the International Space Station, and of course the big Saturn rocket, which uh, some of my listeners actually have built. And even though it feels like a very boring build because it's just a rocket, actually turned it said they say. It's a really great experience to build. Didn't get that one either. I might get this one just because it has the helicopter. I mean, how cool is that? So if you look at the first image, it it does a very good... This is a technical Lego set, so it's not um, like most of the other big sets that they make for adults, um, a display set. This is also part of the fun of building this set is that it is all technical Lego because uh, it has a lot of moving parts, a lot of uh, joints. So let's go through these images of the set. Here is the, the the box and the cover art where it looks even more impressive because they have this nice orange set of Mars in the background. And so the this, the, the Mars Rover itself is of course white. Uh, mostly, and then with some black wheels, and uh, the helicopter is a mix of um, gold, a golden brick, and then um, some gray and and black uh, elements. But if you see this with an orange background, it works. It has so much more impact. Uh, there's a little video. Let's play this and see um, and see what this what this does. Here we go. It's um it's a 3D rendition where you can see that actually it also the wheels are also built on on these um joints that can bend and adapt themselves to the, the 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 rocky surface of Mars um so that looks pretty pretty cool it also has a protruding arm that of course is able to take these samples of of Mars earth store it in a container, and leave it on the surface of Mars so that a future mission can go there and pick those those tubes up and, and bring them back to Earth. That's actually what they're going to do. So this is like a grocery cart for Mars artifacts, and then a future mission hopefully will bring those modules, those, those, those tubes back to Earth so we can explore that. Nothing of that has ever been done before. Um, and then it's got another uh, camera on a on a pole that is filming all this. Um, Here's a a view from the side where you can see that the arm, the protruding arm for for taking the samples with a drill built in can also move and be rotated and uh, can go up and down. Um, Here's a shot where you see a bit more of the helicopter. You you can also tell that all the wheels can turn independently of one another. Um, So then I don't know if you, If this is probably something you have to just turn by hand, I don't think there's a steering wheel integrated in the model. Um, And the helicopter, of course, is not flying, but it's still a a very cool uh, idea to have a Lego model of, you know, one of the coolest things that we've ever done on another planet is flying around a helicopter. (laughs) Here they show with some arrows how you can move that, um, that uh, drill arm back and forth. Here's the back of the box where it's clearly um, showing that this is a technical Lego set. It's got a lot of uh, technical elements. I'm usually not that much of a fan of technical Lego. I'm more of a, like, I like building uh, houses and stuff. But in this case, it, it makes sense for this to be a technical model. Um, and here you have some photos of the model in, in a real-life situation. So you've got someone in the background playing with the helicopter, and you can tell that the helicopter is actually a lot bigger than it looks on the, on the box itself. It's, uh, it's about the size of a hand, so it's, it's pretty detailed. Um, there is also another photo that shows uh, someone with an app, and I don't know exactly, what that app is. This is not a motorized uh, 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 rover, but maybe the app is, is projecting something. It looks like an AR application. You can see that it's filming uh, the model and maybe projecting some other stuff on the floor of your kitchen or wherever you're playing around with this thing. That would be a cool thing to, to create Mars in your own living room thanks to an AR app. Now, the whole uh, kit is actually surprisingly affordable when it comes to LEGO sets. It is $99.99, so that would probably be also around $100 in in Europe. And it's going to be available starting at August the 1st. Um, So that's already pretty fast. I think this is going to be quite a hit uh, for the holiday season, here you see um, top-down image of uh, a kid playing with the Mars rover, and again you see how big this thing is. And if you look at the size of this rover, it's uh, look at the size of that thing. It's actually, I think, a pretty reasonable price. It's apparently a gift for kids age 10 plus. I, I'm not sure if 10 year old kids would be excited about this, but maybe I'm just underestimating the coolness of uh, of kids today. I think this is uh, one, of the, one of the coolest sets I've seen so far. Uh, I've also done, of course, a review of the Lego Pac-Man machine, the slot machine that is um, on, on my uh, uh, Lego YouTube page. So you m- might want to check that out as well. Let me know what you think of this set and if it's something that you'd be interested in. To wrap things up, uh, I wanna briefly talk about video games. I um, I've just got the complete edition of Horizon Zero Dawn. Remember I said that I was always waiting for these big budget games for them to go down in price? Well, this was the lowest price since it, the launch of this uh, really cool game. I've played it a little bit on the play- PlayStation 4, um, but uh, I no longer have a PlayStation, so I couldn't play it anymore. I sold the disc. Um, but now i got the pc version and um i i was looking around for the cheapest steam key because they were um selling the, this one on sale on steam for about a week and i f- i found a place where i could buy it for um for 11 euros 11 euros for a for and this is the complete edition i cannot wait to try out this game i have the lego set of the long neck uh, d- robot um and and i bought it knowing that I first wanted to play the game before I built the Lego set. so And then, of course, there's already a sequel uh, to the Horizon Dawn game. I'll probably pick that up uh, in a couple of years from now as well. <laughs> um, final, final topic of the day. Um, I just read that, unfortunately, Google is ending support and updates for their original Chromecast. I think I have two of them. Um, maybe one of them is actually still... Connect No, it's no, no longer necessary because my smart TV downstairs actually has a built-in Chromecast. Both of my TVs work on uh, the Android system, so there's no need for the Chromecast. But I've used it on previous televisions, but unfortunately the original one is no longer being supported. And that's a shame because it's a very simple pass-through type of device. And now, you know, over time they warn that uh, performance is going to degrade, so it's going to end up basically as just e-waste and that unfortunately is a ongoing trend in the world of especially of cell phones where after a couple of years there are no more updates this is one of the reasons that i switched back to apple it's because i know that my ipad and my iphone will continue to receive updates up to a certain point of course but um even if there are no longer updates like for instance my my um a macbook uh, 11 inch i still use it for my administrative tasks and it still runs perfectly fine and it's fast i don't notice that it is what is it like 12 years old um and and then of course i have the new uh, laptop uh, which which is blazingly fast but in when you're just browsing a website it doesn't feel different at all from this more than 10-year-old Mac. And, and the same is true for, uh, for my iPhone. Even the iPhone 6 that I have, it's, it runs an older version of iOS, but it's still perfectly usable for you know, simple, simple tasks. Um, thankfully, the, in the Android world, things are evolving as well. So um, if you buy a Pixel phone, so that's the official Android phone from, from Google itself, they now guarantee, I think, five years of updates. And so does Samsung. So thankfully they're going from, what is it, three-year support to five-year support. I hope that over time they will even try to stretch it to 10-year support. Um, I have this uh, Android phone that I love and it still works so well uh, for photos, for, for, for a lot of stuff. It's very fast, uh, but it's from 2019. It's the Asus uh, Zenfone 6. But it only runs Android 11. That was the last update. When I bought it, it was already a year old. So I only basically had two years of updates and then it was, it was over, no more upgrades. And it's starting to show its age, not in speed or battery power, but just you cannot run a lot of the newer apps anymore because it, they, they need a newer version of Android. So I've been looking into maybe flashing the ROM and uh, updating it with uh, maybe Android. There is a way to put Android 13 on that phone, but it's full of bugs and you won't be able to film in 4K anymore. So I'm like, yeah, I actually really would like to try to see if I can update that, update that old phone. But at the same time, it would break a lot of functionality that I currently enjoy. It's the, the ongoing conundrum of am I going to try to upgrade and then break a lot of functionality or gonna, uh, am I going to keep it as, as is and then I, it won't be a secure phone anymore because it's vulnerable. There are no more security updates for that phone yep that's why I think it's important that we get tech that lasts a little bit more than than three or four years and with that it is time to wrap up this episode of The Break, thank you so much for the privilege of your time again I want to thank my patrons and support me and continue to support me and, and feed me with so many cool ideas and uh, we're gonna go for another round of Dungeons and Dragons on the Discord server. So looking forward to that. I I love it that that thanks to the Discord server we are able to to join together with with patrons from all over the world to to uh, battle dragons and you know it's so cool. I also um, am thankful for all of you that are listening and continue to stay subscribed, even though sometimes you know. I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But thank you so much. Also, thank you for uh, supporting me on my other social platforms, especially on YouTube. Um, If you liked Lego and you're not subscribed to my Lego YouTube channel yet, um, here's a special invitation to go and subscribe. I only need 15 more subscribers to get through that first phase in making that an official, like, bigger channel. You need to have 1000 subscribers. I'm currently at 985 and uh, and then like 4000 hours of, of viewing. So please subscribe. Have a have a great rest of your day. We'll talk soon. God bless.